Do not attempt to adjust the picture. CP, you're a Jordan athlete. You've been a Jordan athlete your whole career. Any of that jump out to you, just the fashion, the style off the court? I remember being in the sixth grade and I went to PE class and my 13s got stole. You know what I mean? Shit. He got stole. That's the worst. And uh, I got the worst ass whooping for it. That's how my <laughs> folks were. My parents whooped, whooped me because they got stole out of my life. You're like, what about the guy who stole them? Why am I getting whooped? I want to welcome all our listeners and viewers to WRTS, the After Party, Uninterrupted's new reaction show. Um, On the menu over the next five weeks, we'll be discussing roundtable discussions um, after the Michael Jordan Last Dance doc. Um, I'll have a different lineup with me every week. Happy to invite back Mr. Maverick Carter, who made some of his own news on social (laughs) this past week. Um, I'm sure the DMs is on fire over some comments. And um, future Hall of Famer and NBA All-Star, Chris Paul. CP, what's up, man? Thanks for joining us. No problem. What's going on, fellas? Everything's good, man. Let's jump right into it. We just saw episodes three and four of Last Dance. Anything specifically jump out at you guys um, just right off the start? I think for me, the thing that I knew, but to hear Michael say it was cool, that like Scotty was a great player. He was super athletic. He had the skills. He had everything. What he didn't have was that certain level of like, fuck you, toughness. And to hear Michael say he recognized that Scotty just needed him to stand next to him and be like, yo, I got you. Go, no, fuck those guys. I got you. And Scotty felt that. And Michael knew he needed that. And Scotty, he needed Scotty to step up in order to win. But he knew Scotty needed him. And I think I think that was very like for me to hear him say that was was a key moment in the, in the, the latest episodes to me, because. We all knew Scotty was talented, but the Pistons were punking him. They were pushing him around, and they, they did that to everybody, by the way. And Michael, as a young player, was just like, yo, give me the ball and let me do my thing. I don't need, you know, I'll do whatever. And then he realized, no, I need Scotty, and this is what I need from Scotty. That, that was a p- thing that jumped out to me in these last two episodes. CP, anything on your end? Uh, I think for me... Uh, the more I watch this, you just get a chance to see that there's no perfect team. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's so dope to see even the stories because, you know, the re- these stories that we're seeing now are the reason a lot of us, I know for, for me, why I'm, in, why I'm in NBA. You know, I was the kid watching this stuff, going out to the backyard, trying to do all the moves. So now to be able to live it and to be in these locker rooms and be in the NBA you know, some of the stuff is like shocking because you go back and think about it as a kid. But now that I'm in the league, I'm not surprised because you just you understand that there's no perfect teams. And the thing that I paid attention to for the longest is that nobody cares about your story until you win. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Everybody can tell this dope story or whatever and all this, but it don't mean nothing until you win. And so that's why it's dope for all of these layers to be, you know, Laid out because now in the world of social media, everybody know your damn business before anything is happening. Everybody know, you know, if you and your you and your teammate get in an argument in the locker room, it's gonna be on Twitter by the time you get to the car. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Exactly. And mm-hmm. so all the stuff that was going on with them has even be, been covered up for twenty years, <laughs> which is so yeah. dope. Except for the people in the circles who sort of know, who know, who know. So 
That's why I think all of us are sitting on the edge of our seats every episode. Two other things I would say jumped out to me to CP's point about social media. The fact that Dennis Rodman went to Las Vegas in the middle <laughs> of the fucking season. Yeah. CP, could you imagine what, like, the, the 15th man on a team who doesn't even play, if he did that during these times we live in, it would be a big deal. And the second thing to me was, I mean, the fact that they just, the worm comes out of the locker room. With the Miller Lite. Downs the Miller Lite. <laughs> and then jumps on the, he doesn't even start driving. He jumps on a motorcycle. It's like. No helmet, by the we, way, Mav. It's literally like we forgot. We we were alive in those times that like you could yeah. drink a beer and get on a motorcycle and everybody thought, like they would get that on camera. Today, that would be a disaster. But I, I think on a whole another level is. I know Phil Jackson, Lakers Phil Jackson. You know what I'm saying? I know Phil Jackson as my coach in the All-Star game in Phoenix in 2009. I never played for Phil, nor did I know this. Like, you know, they sort of let Dennis be who he was. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And Mm -hmm. obviously it's give and take or whatnot as far as discipline, but I've always sort of respected them coaches who like, you know, do what you got to do to show up for the game. Long as you show up for the game, you show up, do your job, do what you, you came here to do. Yeah. And that's the thing I think Rodman kept saying. He just, look, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do this. But come game time, watch you get all the rebounds. Watch you make all the hustle plays. And as long as you do that, we cool. To CP's point, I love what Michael Phil said something about we need to get Dennis to do something, something. And Michael was like, Phil, basically we won the fact that Dennis has even showed up today at practice. So let's just relax. Yeah, he's about moving his body. He said he showed up. That's the win. He just showed up. He's here. You know, it was super interesting for me. For me, it was super interesting. It wasn't even basketball. Like, you know, all four first, all first four episodes have been all the off the court shit has been like the gray champion bulls hoodies, you know, hoodies. You know, I'm like, oh, I forgot those J's. CP, you're a Jordan athlete. You've been a Jordan athlete your whole career. Any of that jump out to you, just the fashion, the style off the court? Man, what? So much jump out to me. I remember I had the three-peat T-shirts. You know what I'm saying? Like, I had mm. all that. And being a Jordan brand athlete, you know, and I watched it, like, with my my son and my family, you know, and I see the 13s. I remember being in the sixth grade, and uh, I went to gym. I went to PE class, and my 13s got stole. You know oh, what I mean? Shit. He got stole. That's the worst. And uh, I got the worst ass whooping for it. That's how my <laughs> folks were. My parents whooped, whooped me because they got stole out of my life. You're like, what but, about the guy who stole them? Why it was a different day then, too. It was a different day then, and Robin and Charles didn't play. Uh, but, but, you know, I, I've been a Jordan brand athlete now. And I never forget. It wasn't until like maybe like my fifth year in the league or something that I finally got another pl- pair of them with the hologram on the side. Mm. So all all this stuff is me reliving my childhood because you know I you could I couldn't go get Jordans. Me and my brother had to work or try to. Mm-hmm. My grand my brother used to work at my granddad's service station so he could go buy Jordans. You know what I mean? So it's it's crazy even now still to know MJ. <laughs> You know, but well, speaking of which, it's a perfect segue. Both of you, you know, have not only met MJ, you've met him, you know, and I'm sure you guys are like me somewhat where I grew up with the MJ posters on my walls and whatnot and, and wanted to be Mike. You know, what was it like meeting MJ at, at a young age? Because CP, you met him as a teenager, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, man, I probably met him before that, but I was, uh, we was at the Jordan game. Yep. 
We was at the Jordan game, um, the high school All-American game. We was in D.C. You was there, huh, man? You was there. Yep. Right. yep. What, was the, what was that like, meeting Mike, like meeting, you know, G.O.D. as a kid, basically? It was, it was crazy because, like I said, it wasn't social media. So now a lot of these kids, when they meet us NBA players or whatever, they feel like they know us already. Mm-hmm. Most exactly. of them really do know us already. For a kid at that time and that age, it was like a god, for real, man, walking in. You know, because he was what everybody wanted to be. We didn't have YouTube, so me and my brother saw MJ and Scotty do something. We was going out in the backyard trying to beat them, trying to replay them. <laughs> and so me and Shannon Brown actually was sitting in the seats right next to him, waiting for him to come in and take a picture. And he walked in wearing a blue, it's like blue pants. It's crazy. I remember all that. A blue shirt with 23 on the front. I think he had the white and blue 18s on. And uh, he sat there. And, you know, like, we're like, damn, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's MJ. And Mav, you met him, you met him at a young age as well, right? Yeah, I was probably like, um, it was like 01. So I was probably 19 or almost 20. He hadn't quite pulled the trigger to come back to play for Washington yet. He was still dabbling with the idea. And um, I went with LeBron. We went up to Chicago um, to work out at Hoops the Gym, where Michael and many other pros, Stackhouse was there, and Penny Hardaway, and Paul Pierce, and Antoine Walker, and on and on, and Oak was there. And they would work out in this gym called Hoops. They would go in there, get a lift, and then from there, they would go to um, a restaurant, hang out, have dinner, drink, play cards. And, and from that point on, it became a place that I wanted to do. But Michael was never really around much because he wasn't playing. So the fact of the matter was that there kept being rumors that Michael may come back and play. And it was like in Chicago, it was rampant. And Michael, one day we were leaving the gym. It was the end of the day. And me and LeBron, we were young. So we hung out with my my man G who worked at the gym. So we would have to be the (laughs) last to leave. We would have to be the last people to leave. G, exactly. We would have to be the last people to leave. Because G would clean up and yada, yada. And he, G worked for Tim Grover. It was Tim Grover's gym, who you saw on the dock tonight. And I'll never forget, we were walking out of the gym. It was like, man, it was like two hours after they had got finished done running. And it was like, Michael may come by. And G said it. But he'd been saying this for like two weeks. We were like, <laughs> no, nah, Michael ain't coming. And just as we're going out the door, a red convertible Ferrari pulls down the street. And I remember it was like, he just said, Mike, Always wears CP knows those bucket hat and he has it flipped up in the front, pulls up in his Ferrari. He was coming. I didn't know it then. He was coming to talk to Tim about, yo, I think I'm going to come back and play another season or two with Washington. What do I need to do? Get in shape. This later on that summer, Ron Artest actually broke his rib in a run. That became news. But he pulled up. And when he pulled up, LeBron was like 16 or 17 at the time. We walked back in, walked up to the weight room. And we sat there and just talked to Mike for like 45 minutes. And to me, it was like me and LeBron always says when he got out of his car, it looked like he was floating. Like it looked like he was floating <laughs> like Aladdin. It was like it was literally black Jesus in the flesh. It was like it was like the guy we have spent our life praying to. And for me, it was such a disconnect because it was like I loved Michael Jordan. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I wore Jordans. He was my hero. But he only existed in a TV screen behind, a, you know, in a screen. It's like it was a weird. I had this weird feeling of like, 
whoa, he is a person. Like, he's mm -hmm. a person because I had only ever seen him in a TV screen, right? So to see him walk and just the way he moved, it literally looked like Black Jesus. And it was, we sat there and talked with him for 45 minutes. LeBron talked with him. And that was the first time I had ever got a chance to meet Michael when he came back that next season. That's dope. That's dope. Speaking of LeBron, you know, in my seven years of working at Nike, working in Nike basketball, you know, one of my favorite experiences was, Mav, I don't know if you remember this, you guys had come to campus for LeBron's annual business meeting. And this year we had a bunch of kids from the community come to the gym. And um, LeBron had said, we had told LeBron, hey, we're going to do a shooting contest. I think it was knockout or something. And if you lose, all the kids get free LeBrons. And it was like 300 kids <laughs> in there or something like that. So Lynn Merritt, shout out to the general who we all know and love, was like, man, you better not lose <laughs> like 300 pairs of kids, you know, kicks for kids, whatnot. And Bron gets down to the finals and no one can tell me he any different. He missed on purpose so the kids could get the kicks. CP, recently a video surfaced of MJ at your camp. And I believe, as I understand the story is, you asked him to go around the world and that if he missed, the camp would get free J's. Is that how it goes? Yeah, so we was in Santa Barbara. So uh, MJ does a, a camp in Santa Barbara. And what's crazy about it is, hell, I don't know if you worked at MAV or was there, but I, I, I never worked, worked there, but I've been there. Yeah, we worked it when we was in college. You know what I mean? And so um, MJ had did this camp for years. Like the camp was like legendary and he used to hoop back in the day with the college guys and all of us, even when I was in college. And so fast forward, I'm in the NBA, I'm living in LA and my son, little Chris is a camper. So mm. it's funny at that camp, me and Monte Ellis was both at camp every day. We'd be at camp every day. And then MJ say something about playing 36 holes. Didn't he say something about that in the doctor today? <laughs> yes. Like, Just so y'all know, that's not a lie. He played 36 Jeez. holes every day. <laughs> every day. And so, even when we was out there for the camp, I went and played 18 holes with him. We got to 18. I was done. Me and my brother was, I'm, that's enough. He went right back to the first hole. He always wow. played 36. Um, but at camp, later on that evening, that night, and it's crazy, me and Monte Ellis was up there, and that was a game that they play. And I went down there, you know, just, just challenged him. You know what I mean? Thinking it's a lot of kids here. Ain't no way. <laughs> like, listen, I know MJ is MJ, but still... He couldn't miss like two in a row or something like that. That's tough, just for the record. Of you course. know what I mean? No cap. That's that's tough. That's tough. And sure enough, he I need to go back and look at that footage. But even on the free throw at the end or whatever, I tried to cover his eyes, like for real, for real. <laughs> tried to cover his eyes so he couldn't and he made it. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one one quick one I want to go back to. It's like, you know, CP, you you know, you mentioned working camps in college. And Mav, you mentioned Bron, you know, going to hoops. What was that like? I want, you know, CP, what, were you holding your own when you were playing against pros in those pickups at those camps? Mav, what, what was LeBron, a high school of LeBron doing at camp against pros back then? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think guys like CP and Bron are always, even in those times, they're smaller, not strong enough to hold their own. But the thing that basketball allows, which obviously... When you talk about basketball IQ, CP and LeBron rank at the top of all time lists is if you know basketball is a sport, if you know how to play, you can fit in and not look like you don't belong. Right. 
unless they just keep ISOing you, then you're in it. But in those runs, there's too many good players for that to happen. So, you know, when, when you watch a player like CP and Braun, even as they've now gotten to the, I won't call them old, but they've, they're in the advanced cool, stages yeah. of their, they're, <laughs> they're in the advanced stage of their career. They still can play the game quick. It's not because they're not, it's not because they're as quick as they used to be. They actually, they're arriving at the spot sooner. It's like the Wayne Grusky line, right? Grusky didn't skate to the puck. He skated to where the puck is going. So, so those guys watching LeBron do that and even watching CP, because I've been watching CP a long time, they always knew how to play. So you could throw them out there anywhere. Now, watching LeBron at hoops, he didn't, he didn't jump off the screen. You didn't, he didn't jump out and you go like, wow, he's really good. But then when you realize, oh, shoot, he was 18, you go, oh, wow, that's impressive to be 18 and be out there with college guys and Stackhouse and Penny. But it's because he knew how to play, so he wasn't going to force shots or be out of place on defense and things like that. CP, do you remember you play, You know, you being at, at, at Wake and playing in these camps with, with pros? What was that experience like? Man, I've been playing with older Playing basketball with older guys since I was young, even going something, even like the YMCA. You know what I'm saying? I, me and one of my boys from back home, John John, who uh, coaches my AAU teams, we was talking about it today because uh, being under quarantine, I've been having first time I really got a chance to work my son out. Mm-hmm. And so oh, me wow. and him, me and him were talking. Me and my boy John, because he runs our basketball academy back home, we was talking about our kids and what's different. And part of it is just simply pick up basketball. Yeah. You know what I mean? A lot of the grit and a lot of the stuff that we got and learned is from pick up basketball. So, so you got the dog from, yeah, you got the dog yeah, from the pick up. Yeah. Yeah. So, sure. so I remember being at the YMCA at noon, you know, and everybody got to write their name on there. And I'm hoping that don't somebody else come <laughs> so they'll, they'll pick me, a kid, to play with the men. You know what I mean? So that and then being... Even when I was in high school, I used to try to go play pickup with Wake Forest, right? And y'all know Darius Sangala? Of course. Yes, yes. Darius Sangala was like a senior, and I was like a high school kid, like a sophomore, junior, or whatever. And I used to try to go play pickup. And it's crazy because Darius ended up being my teammate in the NBA. Mm. But when I was in high school and I'd go over there and play with them, if Darius, like, missed a shot, he'd say, my ball. You know what I mean? Like, five. <laughs> y'all ever play with people that do that? <laughs> And, so and I was, but, but I, but I was young, and I looked like, damn, ain't nobody gonna say nothing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's just, and then as you start going, and so like I remember like being in college playing in pickup games, and MJ was there. And if you play on MJ's team, like man, I said, you just got to know how to play. You know what I mean? Like whatever team you on is, if it's pickup, is it a real NBA team? You know who the guy is. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. So you shoot when you open. You can create plays and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's MJ Camp and everything. <laughs> let him let him touch it. Now, when it comes to you, do something with it. Do something you know with it. Exactly. If mm-hmm. you if you know how to play, you can play wherever. One of the one of the other things that came across loudly in these episodes was uh, the word rivalry. Right? We talked about it a little bit at the top with the Pistons and the Bulls. You know, some people may say that, you know, rivalries don't exist as much in the pros these days or whatnot. You know, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. But CP, do you have a rival? Have you had a rival in your, you know, team wise, a rival in your career or what's the closest team to it? Uh, yeah, I had a few. Even way back in New Orleans, uh, probably wouldn't look at it as a rival because they would beat us most of the time. But we when we was in that 
what is it, Southwest Division, we was always trying to get past the Spurs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Trying to get past the Spurs. When I got to um, L.A. with the Clippers, um, obviously it's always going to be something when you play against the Lakers, that little in-town rivalry. But obviously we built up a, a strong like dislike and stuff like that with the um, Warriors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And even and even Oklahoma City there. Those are fun. Extent. Yeah. And then it's crazy. I feel like when I was with the Clippers, we had a ton of so was Memphis. <laughs> Memphis was was for real. That, that that series used to get ugly. And we played each other like two years back to back in the playoffs. I mean, then I got to Houston and we play uh Golden State again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I've been playing against them for the longest for for most of my career. And CP, you mentioned you mentioned Golden State. I don't know if you saw the report that came out maybe a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, something I didn't know um, mm-hmm. about a potential trade that was offered up that was, I believe, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, I, I never believe heard it was, yeah, near did I. You know, I was shocked and I, I would love to get CP's thoughts on it. I believe it was you for Clay and Steph. And the report at least said that you had told Golden State you would not extend, if that's the case. Is that a true story? Do you remember it, how it happened, what that conversation was like? Yeah, that happened with a few teams. I actually never wanted to come, like, out west. You know what mm. I mean? I'm born and raised on the East Coast. You know what I mean? So I never was, like, crazy about L.A. and all that um, until I finally got out here and lived out here, Right. But uh, at that time, all I knew really about the Bay is because I've been there to play the games or whatever, and everything was just so healy, and I just thought about Full House. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like like for real, for real. I, I didn't know. And so at that point in my life and talking with my my wife and all that stuff, like that ain't... That's, that's, what, what team were you on in CP, in New Orleans? I was in New Orleans. Yeah, that was when the whole uh, Lakers thing got... Next oh, thing. got it. Oh, it was yep. after the Lakers thing. Yeah, I could have went to the one team and that team, whatever. But everything gotcha. happens for a reason. Yeah, of mm-hmm. course, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. What well, one of the other things that came up in the doc was, um, and CP, this is something you know you've done your entire career was was that came through very clearly was Phil talking about trusting teammates, right? Right. Um, you know, he talked about trying to get Mike to trust his teammates and, and realize he couldn't do it all. Um, we talked about Rodman earlier. Can you talk about a teammate you, you know, dealt with maybe the wrong word and, and Mab, I'm going to throw this to you as well. Like even on the business side, you know, talk about being really sure in your skill set, but having to trust a teammate or a colleague to help you get over the hump. I think, you know, that is in every part of your life, right? It's, it's, it's at home. My girlfriend, and I have to deal with it at work. Like, it all comes down to if you really, truly want to scale, like if you really want to win a lot of games and win championships or you want to have a house that runs with with real efficiency or you want to have a business that can scale, you have to trust people. And I, I've been listening to this book the last two weeks and he was uh, one of the points of the book is you hire great people or, you know, you're in the NBA, other people are great, let them be great. Like you literally let them be great, don't over manage it. But when you're as talented as a guy like CP, you know, you give CP the ball, he could do he could do it all, right? He could score it, he can assist it, he could, whatever you need from three to this or that, I'm sure for him, 
that's not always an easy thing to, to like, okay, I could do it all, but in order for us to really win, I need these other guys to come along with me. And it's not an easy thing, but it's, but you have to do it if you really want to get winning and get scale in a real way. Absolutely. And CP, anything from you just in terms of just trusting teammates and even like, you know, you guys play a long season, right? It's, you know, yeah. um, like you may, you may know you're not going to get what you want out of that teammate early, but you know, you're building towards something come playoff time, come get money time. Like what's your mindset as a leader and the PG of the team and bringing people along? Yeah. I, I think at times, um, you know, obviously it's about the moment and, and the times that we live in and, uh, if you pass up a game winning shot on, uh, Monday night in January, that Tuesday morning, they're going to rip you or they're going to, everybody's going to say what you should have did or what you shouldn't have did. Um, but when you're a true leader, you have to think big picture. You know what I mean? You just really have to think big picture and have to understand that trusting that guy on that Monday night, it might pay off for you, uh, in the playoffs in a time that you really need it, you know, and then, um, and it can backfire on you, too, because if you don't trust that guy on that Monday night in January. Right. And then you get to the playoffs and then you pass it to them and they standing there and they're not ready for it. <laughs> I know it as a star, you're going to cuss them out like, yeah, be ready, be ready. But they're going to be sitting there like you don't ever pass it to me before. Why are you right. going to pass it now? So it's a balance or whatnot. And you just I think like Mav said, you got to be understand. You got to understand how to delegate, too. Especially in business, you gotta understand how and understand how to delegate. And I think you know Michael is the greatest closer I've ever seen in any sport: football, basketball, baseball. I mean, he closes game series better than anybody I've ever seen. But then you see in a closeout game of his first finals, Phil was on him. Like, and there's something about Phil's brain to know that. Like, he knows. Michael is will close it, and Michael's first instinct, second instinct, and third instinct is to go close this game, go shoot. So Phil keeps drilling in him, even in that moment where we're about to win a championship. Yo, fine packs, fine packs. He's open, and that because because he doesn't have to coach Michael to shoot, right? We know that he knows right. Michael's gonna shoot the ball. He's like Mike. That's Michael's first, second, and third instinct. But I need to coach Michael to find packs and and. You know, Mike took that, and Mike is a very smart guy to take that. That's a sign of a great leader, and that's a sign of a person who wants to evolve. And for Michael to do that in Game 5, where he's on the brink of his first championship, tells you everything you want to know about Michael Jordan as a basketball player. He wants to win more than he wants anything else. He's fine with whoever helps him winning. He just wants to win. CP, before we get you out of here, I want to ask you, you know, I think this is perfect setup. We have a new section on our show, the after party called No Bullshit, right? It's the one question we ask that has nothing to do with the Bulls doc. Um, mm-hmm. as we, as we mentioned in the opening, you're the president of the NBA's Players Association. Obviously right. a, a really weird time, you know, I mean, you probably wouldn't have time to do this. You should be probably at halftime of some <laughs> game under regular yeah. circumstances. Um, right. the question that's on everyone's minds, do we think we'll play NBA basketball again this season? What, you know, not asking for any necessarily insider information. Just would love right. your thoughts on will there be basketball? Man, I'm, I'm telling you, man, I hope so. And know that every player that I've talked to or whatnot, like we we want to exercise any possibility, any anything to get out there and play. 
Like any mm-hmm. any resources, anything that we can do to to get out there and play. And I, I said this a couple of times, but as bad as we want to play, like we fans of the game. <laughs> you know what I mean? I na- I don't know if you can name probably one basketball player that's not watching this doc right now. Right? Mm-hmm. Like this is almost the closest thing that we get into to hoops right now. And this right here, imagine if we was like in season right now or if the playoffs was going on right now and we was getting to watch this doc. Imagine what the games would be like. Because I know for me, like I watch this and I'm like, I can't wait to work out tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm not even going on the court. This is literally just just lifting weights. So we hoping and trying to keep getting as much information as we can as far as the virus, because we don't want to put anybody in danger, jeopardy, anything like that. We know everybody has families and things like that to worry about. But we know if there was a way to get us back playing, I think that would do a lot for not only um, us, but for everybody, everybody that's that's waiting. Absolutely. CP, one of the things you mentioned I saw recently, um, because they had just announced that, you know, some teams may open up their facility May 1st and allow guys to work out if their state laws, you know, allow it or whatnot. And you had a very strong point of view on, you know, you want to play just as much as anyone else does, but there's a right way to do it, ensuring the health of players and those things. Can you talk about that a little right. bit? Right. Um, I think the fact that, um, you know, whatever may happen as far as once we make a decision about the facilities or whatnot, I think it's just trying to get some type of sense of normalcy. You know what I mean? Not saying that uh, everything is over or whatnot, but just trying to to step-by-step step, figure out what, what this is going to look like going forward. Um, but, you know, I, I've said this before, if we do get to a place where we can play, guys are going to need ample amount of time to prepare. Y'all know, like, everybody don't live Absolutely. in, like, one big dormitory. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Exactly. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. this guy may have a nice gym at his house that he can lift and work out at. This guy might not have nothing. This guy might exactly. be living in an apartment or something like that or a condo. Yep. And a yep. thing like, it's no woe is me by no means, but I was telling somebody the other day, I haven't shot on a real goal since warm-ups against the Utah Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'll be in the backyard. I'll be, back, I'll be in the backyard with little Chris playing horse, but I don't know if that translates to, no, to the real is, thing. That, you know what I mean? Not, so, not, I agree. So, yeah. I've been saying the same thing. Because Chris, to Chris's point, not only do everybody not live in the same dormitory, but some people live in New York and some people live in Memphis <laughs> and L.A. And everybody's situation, just density and city-wise is different. And the truth is, if you're an NBA player, most are like, why would I have a gym in the house? I go to the facility every single day. It's open 24 hours. So I get some older players have different situations or financial situations and live further. But it's like, so I agree with Chris, they're going to need some amount of time physically just to get your body back in playing basketball. Because we all know it's one thing to practice and and do cardio. But when you get in that game, it's a whole different vibe. (laughs) Those hammies feel much, your hammies (laughs) feel way different in a game versus cardio. I was hooping with my brother a little bit uh, uh, at my house yesterday and like I made a move and he was like, oh, 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 you know what I mean? Like, he, <laughs> you know, he don't, he don't want to be out on IR during quarantine, but that's, that's real, man. Because the other thing is whatever point you come back into the season, um, you know, we competitors, you know what I mean? Exactly. So 
I mean, it's a lot of people at home can tell you, like, my mind might be saying one thing, but my body's saying another. You know, mm-hmm. when we get out there competing or whatnot, we want to make sure that we're putting the right stuff, too, for the fans to see. We don't want exactly. no, no nonsense. Absolutely. Right. So before we get out of here, Mav, you're in Vegas. So I'll lead this question with you. One <laughs> sentence answer. Do we think there'll be an NBA tournament in Vegas when the season comes back? I, I like Chris, hope that the NBA can finish the season by protecting all, including fans, uh, production people who have to produce it for TV. That's what people forget about. There's a big production crew that's a producer for TV, players, coaches, administration, everybody who has to be involved. If it has to be in a single location, I think Vegas would be the best option when I think about the rest of the country. CP, take us home. I don't know. <laughs> That's like my for real answer. Like, I don't know. I, I ain't going to say it. And, I, and like, I, I really don't know. You know what I mean? Because like you said, it's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. It's a lot of moving Tell parts. Us. So know that it's a lot of people working on it day in and day out, too, just trying to figure out uh, what makes sense and what's possible. Because, damn, I miss hooping. Like, I miss it. Like, I miss it, miss it. Like, a lot of guys, and I'll just tell you, that first week, you know, guys was like, okay, cool. It's nice, you know. Trust time me. off. I Yeah, like, trust me. I don't, yeah. my family live in L.A. I was in Oklahoma. So, it's unbelievable. You know what I mean? Getting getting to be around my family. But me and my wife was talking about it the other day, and she was just looking at me. And I she looked, and she was like, what's wrong? I was like, I miss playing. And she told me, I miss watching you play. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, it's mm-hmm. part of us. It's part of us in, in our DNA. So, yeah, we we, we going to try to get this thing back cracking. Just know that. Thanks for rocking with us here at WRTS, the after party. That's a wrap on episode two. Want to thank Mav and CP for joining us. CP Straight again. Up, man. Hope to see you on a court and in uniform kicking ass again soon. Be sure to subscribe right here on the Uninterrupted YouTube channel. For podcast listeners, head to the Uninterrupted WRTS feed. Available wherever you get your pods. Fellas, thanks for coming through to the after party. Catch you on the next episode. Anytime, PR. Appreciate y'all. Peace.